Chapter Number Ten of Stories in Gray. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brianna. Stories in Gray by Barry Payne. Chapter Ten. Saint Martin's Summer. Judith Secombe's papa had white hair but a young heart, and a great capacity for enjoyment when it could be reconciled with his conscience. When he took the house in South Kensington, he told himself he did it entirely on Judith's account. She was seventeen. It was necessary that she should go about and see the world. She must make the acquaintance of his many friends. Judith, warring over the asphalt in a taxi cab, thought of a wood she knew where the bluebells made one sheet of color. But London never bored her father. Tonight he had been quite apologetic. He had only been able to procure one stall for the first night of the Pinero play. His daughter could not go to the theater alone, but he could. On the other hand, he had a guest in his house, an old friend, Gilbert Rayner by name. But Rayner showed him that he did not in the least wish to go to the theater, and that he did not in the least mind being left alone. Judith and I will make some music, perhaps. So they dined rather earlier than usual. And even so, Judith's papa had to hurry off before the coffee had been brought. Isn't he wonderful, said Judith. He goes to everything. He does everything. He enjoys everything. And I myself am weary to death of it. When one does the same things over and over again, that is not amusement. That's business. Young people never understand the enthusiasms of the aged. We old people... You're not old, Judith interrupted. Forty-eight, said Rayner, which is on the whole a little worse than sixty-eight. Numbers don't mean anything, said Judith. Come upstairs and I'll play to you. Presently Rayner sat before the fire in the big drawing room, and listened to Beethoven's E minor sonata. The room was lit only by the candles at the piano and by the glow of the fire. Mrs. Rayner had not accompanied her husband on this visit. London was too noisy for her, and the country was too quiet. A provincial town on the seacoast met her requirements. As a rule, it met her husband's requirements as well. He did not care very much where he lived. They had been married twenty-four years and were the parents of two grown-up sons who had a passion for being correct that almost amounted to priggishness. In the inevitable course of nature and circumstance, Romans had died both for Gilbert and his wife. There was still affection. The chief evidence of it on her side was her suspiciousness. 
Love leaves a deposit of jealousy just as a river throws down mud. Listening now to the music, Gilbert thought about his family. About this time of the evening, Harold, the younger son, who was still at Oxford, would be talking dogmatically of his own fastidious tastes in wines. Frederick, the elder son, would possibly be examining with care in a magnifying glass the objects dearest to his heart. He was a philatelist and an expert. Mrs. Rayner would either be grumbling at a servant or reading a novel. These two splendid occupations nearly filled her life. It might all very easily have been so much worse. Harold knew too much about vintages, but he was not intemperate. Frederick would do very well in the bank in which his father was a senior partner. Mrs. Rayner had become slightly shrewish, but had no other bad habits. And it might all very easily have been so much better. The color of life was fading for him into a gray monotone. There were no more great possibilities. A man of 48, so Gilbert reflected, ought to be very fond of his dinner. There is nothing else left of which he can be very fond. His eyes fell on Judith. She was playing now the ecstatic melody of the second movement, and her eyes shimmered in the candlelight under dark lashes. He could remember her as a child of eight. With a sudden impulse, he got up and walked to the door. He ran his hand over the switches of the electric light. White light suddenly applied changes very often the train of one thought, and his own thoughts were getting too much in tune with the evening, with the firelight, with the music, with the faint perfume of the heavy drooping tulips on the mantelpiece. An evening paper lying on the table was a further corrective. He opened it at the city intelligence and read with care the figures which showed him what rubber and oil were doing. The music stopped. Judith came and stood beside him, leaning one arm on the mantelpiece. In this position, the loose white sleeves fell back. She looked down at him, and under her gaze, he moved uneasily in his chair. He folded the newspaper and flung it down. Why did you do that just, she asked. All these lights, I mean. I wanted, he said, to see the price of shell transport. She walked to the door and paused with one hand poised over the switches. Do you mind? she said. I don't like very much light tonight. Again, the room was lit only by the glow of the fire and by the candles at the piano. She knelt down on the hearth rug, spreading almost transparent hands to the fire. What was the price of shell transport? she asked. The question was unexpected, and he gave the true answer. I don't know, he said. She sighed deeply.
take me away with you," she said suddenly. The tone of the voice was serious, almost as if she had meant what she said. " Where shall we go? " he asked in the same tone. " I don't think I mind very much. I should like it to be so far away that it took us days to get there. It must be a lonely place, too." He looked at her and said nothing, wondering what was happening, and what might possibly be going to happen. Her voice shook a little as she spoke. " Do you love me so very, very much? " she said. It was not till that moment that he knew how very, very much he did love her. " Why do you think so? " he asked. " Tell me about it." " I know about you," she said. " Don't you know about me, too? What is it you have to tell me? " She rose to her feet and walked a few steps away from him. Her back was turned to him as she spoke. " I love you very, very much," she said. " I love you more than all the world. I know it's wicked, and I don't mind it. I know I had never meant to say it, and I have said it." He was a guest in the house of the girl's father, his own old friend. About a hundred miles further north, an elderly, thin-lipped lady, probably complaining at the moment that the silver candlestick that would light her to her rest had been imperfectly cleaned, had a sure claim upon him and had once loved him. A smooth-haired young man, counting the perforations of a forged colonial stamp, had also a right to expect that his elderly father should not bring scandal upon the family. But there was also the girl, Judith, to think about, standing trembling in the dim light and waiting for him. Here, in this quiet room, at this very moment, was, he knew, the last chance of poetry and of paradise. In a flash, he saw his whole course clear in his mind. He went to her, put his arms around her, and kissed her on the mouth. He said nothing. For a moment or two, she rested her head on his shoulder. And then she went back to the fire again and knelt down and spread out her hands as before. They heard now the sharp burr of the electric bell downstairs. Judith smiled faintly and warmly. He has forgotten his latchkey again, she said. He always forgets it. Listen, said Gilbert. This is our goodbye. We can have no more than we have had. It will be a secret between us, and I shall never forget it. I am called away on business early tomorrow morning. Do you see? She nodded, caught his hand and kissed it, and went to the piano. She began to play once more the melody of the second movement. The door opened and Judith's papa entered, rubbing his rather fat white hands together and looking pleased with the world. 
"Well, you two people," he said, "you have missed the most glorious evening." Judith did not appear at breakfast next morning, and soon afterwards Gilbert Raynor received the necessary telegram and had his bag packed. His conscience did not trouble him. He felt more at peace with the world than he had done for a long time past. When some five years later Judith married quite as well as she could have been expected, he sent her a little silver statuette by an artist of great repute, but did not attend the ceremony. Two years afterwards they met in Paris, and with a look of clear innocence in her beautiful eyes, she introduced him to her husband. Mr. Rayner, a very old friend of my father's, he used to know me when I was quite a little kid. End of chapter 10 Recording by Brianna